So a lot of folks on this app seem to love my fantasy armor content. However, it does attract a lot of folks looking for Viking-themed videos. Sadly, this also attracts the attention of individuals I do not agree with. I have received several video responses from individuals posing in front of Confederate flags and several more featuring racially charged comments. This is Lady Lenensid. She's a TikToker who cosplays in Viking-inspired outfits, and for some reason she has to explicitly remind people that she does not agree with white supremacists. Let me make something absolutely clear. I do not support these individuals or keep them in any way. But why? I mean, why is that not a given? It turns out that that's because there's a quick link people make in their minds between Vikings and white supremacists. And this is because white supremacists actively try and take Viking culture and make it their own. For example, there was a Trump supporter who stormed the Capitol a few months back, and everybody seemed to have him confused as someone cosplaying as a Viking. So this man was certainly a prominent figure at the Capitol on Wednesday, and us at the Observer's team, we wanted to take a closer look at his tattoos. Here you can see a few of those symbols that are on his torso, and if you take a closer look, on the top is the Valknut, which is a Viking symbol. Uh, it's nowadays associated with white supremacy. And this is not the first case of people in alt-right groups tattooing themselves with Viking symbols. In fact, some of the most powerful white supremacist groups have adopted runes into their logos. And this is actually so common that there was an entire movement in Sweden to ban runes, simply due to their association. I mean, that is how powerful the link between Vikings and white supremacy is. If you think of one, you think of the other. So let's start off with a very simple question. Who were the Vikings? The term Viking comes from the Old Norse word vikingar, sea warrior. These were people originally from Scandinavia, today's Denmark, Norway, Sweden. People who would set sail across the seas to rape, pillage, and plunder. In the late 8th to 11th century, we tend to think of these ginormous, blonde, blue-eyed men who bring terror wherever they go. And while there is some merit to this, Vikings, or well, Norsemen, had pretty tough lives. Violence was very commonplace. People killed for money, glory, love, and they also enslaved people from the villages they conquered. And I'm pretty sure you don't want me to go into the details about how bloody some of the rituals were. But this is where the truth separates from the myth. Vikings were not all blonde and blue-eyed giants. They weren't a homogeneous society in the least. The settlements expanded far and wide. They married, lived, laughed, loved with people from all over the world, from North America to Byzantium. So you can imagine that they were definitely not all white. And they weren't all about violence. Vikings were primarily agriculturalists. In their societies, it's not that they particularly promulgated violence, rather that they just kind of accepted it as part of their society. For the most part, people were to act within the realm of what they see as civilized violence. You weren't allowed to kill willy-nilly. You had to kill with a reason. Because excessive violence was looked down upon, even for slaves. 
Now we turn to our first expert, Professor Andrew Sartori at NYU, who teaches about money in history. And money takes on a very interesting form during the Viking Age. I mean, this is where we have the development of Welgard, otherwise known as blood money. Uh, Wergild is basically, it means a uh, man debt or man payment. If you kill somebody, you make a payment to everyone who is harmed by the death. So that's the basic idea, and these, these laws become extraordinarily detailed. It's also a practice that you find in Russia, in Ireland, in Wales, on the Celtic fringe, across all sorts of cultures. I mean, often it's called, to, called blood money, right? the idea of, of paying off a debt. Um, where the debt is for having injured somebody or killed somebody. So more than anything, violence is expensive, and it's too expensive for most of the common man to do. Yes, people's lives literally had a monetary value, but people's lives were also not cheap. I mean, this system was put into place to restrict violence, or, well, killing at least. That's why people could only act within this realm of civilized violence. And this practice expanded across all their territories, which was far and wide. So what we learned about Vikings is that they're not who they're depicted to be. One, they're definitely not a homogeneous society of white warriors. And two, violence exists within a realm of civility. So where do all these misconceptions come from? So for that, we have to go back to the 13th century. Everything we have about the Viking Age goes back to Icelandic sagas written in the 13th century, which, as you can remember, is definitely quite a few years after the supposed real Viking Age. Our primary sources are sagas, stories that follow a particular family or a person, and they were written by Christians who wanted to highlight the civilizing role that Christianity had in society. So everything that we read about Vikings in Viking sagas, we have to read with a grain of salt. There is a lot of violence going on in these sagas because, well, for the most part, Vikings were meant to be depicted as savages. But now let's focus on the rise of the Nazis. The next big group of people that would create terrible misconceptions about the Vikings. When the Nazis were tracing back their ancestry, they wanted to believe that they were somehow special, that they were chosen, in a way descended from gods, the way kings and queens would claim to literally be descended from gods. But they wanted to sound a bit less insane. So they traced back the kings and queens of Germany to this race of superhumans from the Nordic countries, and they made them to fit this blue-eyed, blonde-haired warriors that would highlight the epitome of perfection, essentially as white as you can be. And now we turn to our Harvard student, Alexandra Todorova, who happens to be an expert in the field, and she explains the essential role that Viking imagery played during the war. The, the image of the Viking soldier or the med medieval German soldier or even the Roman soldier perhaps are used in these Waffen-SS recruitment posters and so you see these idealized Viking pictures and it says like against Bolshevism but it always has to do with this like idealized male figure that's just trying to like um, recruit people for their own organization to fight. 
which is a bit insane. The Nazis were using Viking imagery to promote the power of the German state. Nazi Germany was all about promoting this sort of national image of Germans who stand together and fight together, which is a sharp contrast of what actual Viking society was like. There was no Viking state. Viking settlements were all about gaining wealth in the form of usable agricultural land. They weren't colonizers interested in creating a Viking empire like Nazis. Nope, they just wanted to settle down and be happy. In regions where Vikings became the majority of the population, like Iceland and Greenland, Scandinavian culture dominated. But in places like Russia and Normandy, Scandinavian culture blended, and pretty well. Vikings were weirdly more about spreading their culture and mixing it. Not the sort of cultural fluidity that most Nazis would approve of. Also, not only were Vikings idealized to become something that they're not, their symbols were stolen. Those runes um, in, in, in the Viking Age are especially important as kind of sacred symbols, um, as religious symbols. A lot of time they were reserved for more religious circumstances. The Nazis definitely stripped that layer and just kind of used them as um, visual appeal. And that was the Nazi intent, to make it really visually appealing and striking. So, I mean, just think about it. We have a group of people that existed. They traded, they lived, they were badasses. They were warriors as much as they were farmers. But we tend to focus on the warrior side because Christian monks were biased. Then we have the reimagining of what they looked like to fit the ideals of a militarized state who stole their symbols and reappropriated them so that they could mean something completely different. This is a militarized state that used their imagery while promoting something that the original group of people would have 100% been against. And I mean, is this not the definition of cultural, nay, historical appropriation? It's wild. Dorothy Kim, a professor at Brandeis University, let me in on a little secret. It wasn't only in Nazi Europe where this obsession with finding a pure white origin story became so important. But that upper Midwest thing is definitely a kind of 19th century interest in kind of uh, framing out a white uh, nationalism, but a kind of genealogy that also rejects um, the Christopher Columbus Italian Mediterranean one. So it was like the better white genealogy. In North America, during the late 19th and early 20th century, there was a growing group of notable people that focused on finding evidence for a white origin story, even whiter than it already was, one that wasn't tainted by the Mediterranean whites. As pure as you could get, I guess? So they focused on gathering evidence for Vinland, Vinland otherwise known as the Land of Wine, the name of the camp that the Vikings made when they first quote-unquote discovered the Americas. This expedition was led by Leif Erikson in the 10th century. So Leif Erikson is one of the characters in the Vinland Saga, but basically like one of the first white settlers of America. Of course, they don't talk about the fact that the settlement in what they called Vinland, which we now think of as the location in Nova Scotia, basically failed, right? They totally failed and they left. So although Vinland would have been in Canada, and it was a settlement that failed. Somehow in the US, there was a need to prove that Vikings had made it to US soil. 
This growing obsession with chasing back Vinland to the US led people to invent fake maps, fake symbols, build towers, and even led to the erection of a Leif Erikson statue in Boston in 1887. So there was this need to reimagine Vikings, representing some sort of notion of an all-white past. Not only white, but like white-white, blonde, blue-eyed white. This is the same story that alt-right groups seem to cling to today. This going back to better days, a supposed time when society was all white and the epitome of masculinity. That is why their social scene, for some reason, is tied back to this reimagined time. And some of the things that the far-right groups would do for fun, like basically get together and drink out of what they thought was a Viking horn. They would recite basically Old English and Old Norse poetry for fun. And they would always end up at like the Nordic cafe. And so now white supremacists are not only claiming a history that's not theirs to claim, but they're stealing a culture that's also not theirs to steal. White supremacist groups like the Sons of Finland and the Odinists are these terrifying groups of people that practice a form of white toxic masculinity, literally based on the idea that Vikings were somehow these barbaric warriors. Which, as you can remember, they were, but they were also so much more. A Viking was a warrior as much as he was a farmer, a father, a son. But these groups of people pick and choose what history they wish to remember. The man who shot and killed two teenage girls, one in a hijab, and murdered them in Portland in 2017, linked himself to the idea of Vinland, the concept of Viking North America. Which, once again, Viking society would definitely be against this excessive, unrequired use of violence against children. Maybe he would have even been sentenced to the Blood Eagle, the most painful and horrific way to die. So this is my trigger warning if you don't like torture. You would first have an eagle carved onto your back, then your ribs would be hacked from your spine and outstretched one by one to create a pair of wings. But this was only reserved for the worst of the worst offenses. Once again, this sort of civilized violence. From this, we can gather one conclusion. Vikings would very much be against white supremacy. One, they weren't all white. Their settlements expanded all over the world. Therefore, they gladly lived with others. Also killed, but that wasn't so much a racial thing as it was a I want your gold type thing. Hell, they even managed to make it to North America without murdering 95% of the native population, like later European powers. The British, the Dutch, the Spanish, the Portuguese, Jesus. Or should I say, Odin. They would also probably find it hilarious, if not insulting, that their symbols have a completely different meaning from this pure religious one that they once held. They probably wouldn't appreciate that most white supremacist groups gather and drink mead from traditional Viking horns and pray to the Norse god Odin. They would also be confused by the many different aspects that white supremacists preach. So I'm gonna say it now. No white supremacist will, or ever will be, welcomed into Valhalla, the great hall where heroes go after they die. So yeah, this is my little outro. I'm Valeria Corvo, a student at NYU, and this is my very first podcast. So I do hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, give it a like, a follow. I'm not really sure what you do. Just let me know that you liked it.